Uh, if you're using a pew Bible, you can find this passage on page 674. Again, we'll be reading Galatians 5, verses 16 through 25. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you this morning for bringing us together, Lord, to hear your word and be challenged. We ask that you would, through your Spirit, uh, mold and shape our hearts to be more like your Son. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Good morning. Great to see you here as we conclude our summer series on the Spirit Fruit. If you've been with us throughout the summer, we began this back in June, and we have looked at eight of the nine fruit of the Spirit that Paul lists in Galatians chapter 5. And this morning, we want to conclude this series by looking at the last of the nine fruit of the Spirit, that is the Spirit Fruit of Self-Control. You know, some people have a reputation for being control freaks. I won't ask you to raise your hand. But there are many things in life that you can't control. I'm sure most of us have figured that out by now. For instance, you can't control the weather. How many woke up and you thought, oh, my Labor Day plans are ruined today when we woke up to the thunderstorm and rain? You can't control other people. Even though we try, a bride-to-be was so nervous, she, she just didn't think she could make it down the aisle. And, uh, and so her maid of honor said to her, just look down at the aisle and then walk, and then look up at the altar where the preacher is standing, and then finally look at the groom that you're about to marry. So she decided to remember those three things, and as she was walking down the aisle, she was even saying those words in a quiet voice. In fact, those standing close enough could hear her saying, I'll alter him. I'll alter him. You'll catch it here in a minute. As much as we try, we cannot alter people. We cannot control our spouses, our children, and other people. We can't. Perhaps the supreme irony is when we realize how little control we have of ourselves. Perhaps you heard about the dad at Walmart who was watching the baby while his wife was shopping, and the baby was crying, but the father seemed controlled and unperturbed as he quietly said, easy now, Albert, control your temper. The woman passing by remarked, sir, man, I just got to congratulate you. You seem to know just how to speak to a baby. 
Baby nothing, came the reply. My name is Albert. (laughs) This morning, what we're going to look at as we look at this final fruit of the Spirit is we're going to discover that with the power of the Spirit, we can control the person who gives you the most trouble in life. And no, it's not your spouse, it's not even your kids, it's not your parents, it's not your coworker, it's not your neighbor, it's not your friend. The person who gives us the most trouble in life is, you got it, it's us, it's we, it's me. I like what Teddy Roosevelt once said, if you could kick the person in the pants responsible for most of your trouble, you wouldn't sit for a month. (laughs) So let's dive in, let's take a look at the most important kind of control, and that is self-control. Self-control, as we already said, is the last of the nine fruit of the Spirit that Paul lists for us here in Galatians chapter 5. So does that make it the the least important of the nine fruit of the Spirit? Well, I would suggest to you, no way. Self-control is extremely important. In fact, it's crucial. Self-control was lacking in the New Testament world when the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Galatians. In fact, you could describe the world he lived in as a wild time. It was a culture basically out of control. And 2,000 years later, self-control is still, I think we would all agree, lacking in our world today. What's amazing to me is even in our modern world in which we live, we have the ability to control all kinds of energy for our benefit, yet we have yet to really learn how to control self. According to 2 Timothy 3.3, one of the characteristics of the last days in which we are living in is that people will be without self-control. If you want a recent modern day example of this, all you had to do was watch football yesterday, specifically the Texas A&M game in which Johnny Manziel sat out the first half due to a lack of self-control, gets in the game, and then has to be pulled out of the game due to a lack of self-control. Even cost his team 15-yard penalty because he was taunting the other players. Could not control his emotions. If you want even another recent example, all you have to do is go to last Sunday night, MTV Music Video Awards, and you saw Miley Cyrus with a lack of control. So what is the spirit fruit of self-control? Well, self-control here, notice in your notes, if you want to fill it out, that's fine. You can pay attention on the screen. Is simply the Christ-like response to whatever and whoever causes you to want to please self at the cost of pleasing God. The Greek word here that Paul uses for this particular word, self-control, It's really a combination of two Greek words. The first word means in, and the second word means strength or power. So a person with self-control, then, is a person who has strength or power within to respond like Christ. One author says that self-control refers to the mastery of our desires and passions. Now, as we think about the concept of self-control. It implies a battle between a divided self. It implies that our self produces desires and passions, cravings, impulses 
that we should not necessarily always satisfy, but instead control. Jesus says, deny yourself. Our culture says, indulge yourself. And so you see the tension in which we live in, in our world today. And when we indulge ourselves, when we lack self-control, the results are devastating. People are seeking freedom through excess, but they find bondage. People are seeking pleasure through releasing their passions, but they find pain instead. No wonder Peter comes to us. And he tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, Now for this very reason, make every effort, in other words, do everything you possibly can, to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge what? Self-control. So let's see here. Let's see what God has to say in this word about the spirit fruit of self-control. Number one, first thing I want us to notice here, is self-control is contrasted to the works of the flesh. It's contrasted to the works of the flesh. You may be asking yourself, well, what are the works of the flesh? This was something we talked about in the very first message in the series, our introduction message to the spirit fruit. The word flesh here that Paul uses here in Galatians is not a reference to our physical body. So when you hear the works of the flesh, don't think of flesh as, oh, my my flesh and skin. It's not necessarily that, although the desires of the flesh often involve our bodies. When Paul mentions the word flesh, he's really talking about the sinful human nature that we all have inherited from Adam and Eve. John Piper describes the flesh as this way, and I quote his words. He says, it's the old ego that is self-reliant and does not delight to yield to any authority or depend on any mercy. When you read Galatians 5 here, as we did, you see the difference between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. They're not hard to tell. They're pretty self-evident, the differences between the two. But notice what he says again. Let's look at it one more time. If you have your Bibles here, in Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21, and I want to read it out of the English Standard Version or the ESV. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident. In other words... They're evident for all of us to notice and see. And he says sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You may be wondering, well, okay, that's fine, works of the flesh, but what's all this have to do? What's this list of the works of the flesh that Paul gives us in Galatians 5, what's this have to do with the spirit fruit of self-control? Because they seem like opposite things. And I would say to you, you're right. They are opposite. And that's why they have everything to do with one another. The works of the flesh, notice this coming up on the screen in your notes, the works of the flesh show a serious lack of control in one's life. Just a casual glance at this list that Paul gives us here reveals that self-control is vitally important in our lives as Christ followers. Paul knows that without self-control, our lives will just spin out of control. 
And so he includes self-control as part of the fruit of the Spirit. When we trust Christ for our salvation, that is when God opens up our eyes and opens up our heart to our need as a save, of the Savior Jesus Christ. And when we put our faith and trust in Christ, God forgives our past and he secures our future. But listen, he also wants to change our present. You say, well, how's that? Through the power of the Spirit that indwells us at the moment of salvation, who wants then to produce within our lives the fruit of self-control. So what happens then if we lack self-control in our lives? Well, notice this, a lack of self-control, it leads to a life that's out of control. A lack of self-control leads to a life that's out of control, spinning out of control, and eventually it leads to ruin in one's life. Now, there's quite a contrast to a life that is controlled by the Spirit and a life that is out of control. Think about this with me for a moment. A car speeding down the highway out of control oftentimes means death on the highway. A fire out of control oftentimes means destruction in the forest. But a person who is out of control is even worse. For he or she wrecks lives and destroys relationships. That's why when we come to Proverbs now 25 and 28, it provides a a rather dramatic description of a person living an out-of-control life. Notice what Proverbs says here. Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. Now, what's the purpose of walls for a city? Why Why do we build walls around a city? We don't necessarily do it so much today as they did back then, but the purpose of walls around a city was basically for protection. In ancient times... Cities had walls around them to protect them from attackers, from their enemies. And when the walls are broken down, there's no way to protect the city. And it would usually then end in ruins, in destruction. In the same way, the writer of Proverbs here is saying that when our lives are out of control, we are just like a city without walls. We are open to the enemies of our soul, which John then describes in the book of 1 John as the world, the flesh, and the devil. The Bible gives us several examples of people whose lives were out of control. I wish we had time to go through We could go through all of them and look at their lives and you would see it. But probably the most famous, or should we say infamous, person whose life was out of control and ended in ruin in the Old Testament would be a person you're very familiar with by the name of Samson. Samson was one of the strongest men who ever lived. But what a tragic life he lived. He's a portrait of self-destruction. Samson could conquer thousands of men, but he could not conquer the passions of his own life. His lack of self-control robbed him of personal strength and the power of the Spirit in his life. Oh, how Samson had such great potential, did he not? I often wonder what could have been, what would have been, 
if he had simply learned the spirit fruit of self-control. I mean, no man can conquer him. Not even himself. Samson won victories over his enemies on the outside, but he couldn't win victories over himself on the inside. His life was filled with uncontrolled lust, uncontrolled fits of anger. He let his passions control him, and it cost him dearly at the end. He brought shame to his God, and he brought ruin and destruction on his life. As you read his story in Judges chapter 13 through 16, you almost want to just kind of shout out verbally or in your mind, hey, Samson, wake up and smell the coffee here. Your life is spinning out of control. Stop while you can before it's too late. And yet I wonder how many of us are living out of control lives here this morning. How many of us have allowed our walls to be broken down? Solomon reminds us of the importance of keeping watch how we're living in Proverbs 4.23 when he writes, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And so what I want us to do is just stop here for a moment. And I want us to do a little inventory. Do a little self-control evaluation. Are you struggling with self-control in any of these following areas? They're in your notes coming up on the screen here. Is any area of my life out of control? The first one, immorality. We could describe it as sex out of control. Paul writes to us in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, and 5, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. Number two, how about sensuality? Lust out of control. Proverbs 6, 23 and 26 says, For this command is a lamp, this teaching is a light, and correction and instruction are the way to life, keeping you from your neighbor's wife, from the smooth talk of a wayward woman. Do not lust in your heart after her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyes. For a prostitute can be had for a loaf of bread, but another man's wife preys on your very life. Number three, idolatry. Worship out of control. Now, immediately when most of us hear the word idolatry, we think of you know, people in faraway country worshiping wooden idols. And while that may be true to a certain extent, let me give you a basic understanding of idolatry. Idolatry is simply the worship of other gods. It's the quest to find our identity or even our security in anything or anyone besides the one true God. So idolatry could be your spouse, it could be your children, it could be your job, it could be your possessions, your house, your car, your anything or anyone that you are seeking to find your identity in or your security in instead of God alone. John the Apostle comes to us in 1 John 5.21 and he very simply says to us, Dear children, in other words, Dear children, sons and daughters of God, keep yourselves from idols. Worship out of control. Number four, another one is wrath. Anger out of control. Anger out of control. Proverbs 14, 17 
says a quick-tempered person does foolish things, and the one who devises evil schemes is hated. Proverbs 16.32, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes the city. Proverbs 29.11 says a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man holds it in check. Number five, drunkenness. Alcohol out of control. Proverbs 21 simply reminds us, warns us, that wine is a mocker and beer a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. The next one, covetousness. Covetousness, the desire for stuff, for possessions, is out of control. Luke 12, 15, Jesus says to the rich man, he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Why? For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And of course, when covetousness, the desire for stuff is out of control, it obviously, most of the time, it leads to the next one, which is debt, spending out of control. Proverbs 22.7 reminds us the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. And then the The next one is selfishness, ambition out of control. Paul reminds us in Philippians 2, 3, and 4, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And then the last one, backbiting. You could call it other things, slander, gossip, you name it, backbiting. Is simply the tongue that is out of control. Proverbs 12, 18 says, The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 13, 3 says, Those who guard their lips preserve their lives, but those who speak rashly will come to ruin. So as you look at these things here, is any area of your life out of control? How would you evaluate? How would you do the inventory in your life, honestly, before God? The spirit fruit of self-control really is the answer to the question, how do we keep from yielding to the works of the flesh? I like what Jim Cimbala writes in his book, Fresh Power. He says, while Christ's work on the cross was the only way to settle the problem of guilt, sin, and condemnation, The coming of the promised Holy Spirit was God's way of changing human beings from the inside out. Now the Holy Spirit dwelling in the hearts of believers would conquer the age-old dilemma of, I want to be different, but can't. I know what's wrong, but I keep doing it anyway. The Holy Spirit is the answer to that dilemma. That's why, number two, notice this, self-control now is presented to us as a fruit of the Spirit. As we've already seen in Galatians 5, self-control is the last of the nine fruit of the Spirit, but that doesn't make it the least important. In fact, self-control is very important virtue, That, in fact, in the, in the, in the sense that it reminds us of our humanity. For a lack of self-control is actually part of our, our old nature our old sinful self before we came to trust Christ for our salvation. So in a real way, if we lack self-control, 
it's a sign that the old nature, our, our flesh, is dominating our lives. So here's the challenge for those of us here who would claim to be Christ followers. The challenge for us here this morning is this, is to live self-controlled in a world that is out of control. That's the challenge that Paul gives to us. You say, well, how do we do this? How do we live self-controlled in a world that lives out of control? Because here's the deal. There are multitudes of people. In fact, you may live with some, you may work with some, you may even live next to one. There are people in this world who have self-control in one area of their lives, but are spinning out of control in another area of their life. And you're like, whoa, that's even me. Someone has said, there are men who can command armies, but cannot command themselves. There are men who, by their burning words, can say, sway vast multitudes of people, but who cannot keep silence under provocation or wrong. The highest mark of nobility is self-control. It is more kingly than a regal crown and a purple robe. Peter the Great is told that when he was in a fit of anger one day, he hit his gardener so hard that he died. Afterward, he was filled with remorse and said, Alas, I have civilized my own subjects. I have conquered other nations, yet I have not been able to civilize nor conquer myself. So as we think about this need for self-control in our lives as Christ followers, it's easy now to assume that it's something that I do myself to restrain my sinful desires. But that's a misunderstanding of the spirit fruit of self-control. So let's clarify what self-control is and is not here for a moment. Look at this coming up on the screen. Self-control is not the result of self-effort. That's the world's version of self-control. The spirit fruit of self-control is not a result of self-effort. Why? Rather, it's the Spirit's work in us. There's no way to gain control over self by one's self. Now, the word self-control can be somewhat a little misleading because we typically tend to focus on what word in self-control? Self. Therefore, we tend to think it's something I do. It's my effort. And if I'm not having self-control, if I'm lacking self-control, it's my fault in a sense. I just need to try harder. I need to put forth more effort. But I would challenge you, instead of focusing so much on the word self in the effort here of self-control, to focus on the spirit and not self when it comes to controlling self. And we focus on the Spirit's power working in us and through us. You see, fundamental to the biblical view of self-control is that it is, get this, it's a gift. It's a gift of the Spirit who dwells within us. So the Spirit fruit of self-control is not ultimately self-controlling self. In reality, it is the Spirit controlling self. In Colossians 2, Paul talks about those who who worship their own self-will. 
He points out in Colossians chapter 2, verse 23, how futile it is, though, to try to live the Christian life as a Christ follower by one's own willpower. This is why Christian legalism doesn't work. It emphasizes what we do or what we fail to do instead of emphasizing the Spirit's power, instead of relying on the Spirit's power, who can control our desires and passions and appetites and cravings of the flesh. So self-control is really all about bringing our whole life now under the Spirit's control. It's not the outward result of self-repression, but rather it's the inward result of the Spirit's work in our lives. Paul puts it this way in Galatians 5, 16 and 17. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Yes, the Spirit within us is at war with the old self, the old flesh. But don't miss the main point here that Paul is emphasizing in this passage in Galatians 5. It's not about war, but rather it's about victory for the Spirit who dwells within you. Paul tells us that when you walk by the Spirit, you will not, what? Gratify the desires of the flesh. Why? Because as we walk by the Spirit, as we cooperate by the, with the Spirit, He gives us now the power to control the desires and passions of our flesh. So, verse 16 here in Galatians 5, promises victory for us over the desires of the flesh. Not that there won't be a war. Listen, there is war. That's what we talked about in the very first message. It's a war within. But that the winner of that war within us will be the Spirit when we walk by the Spirit, when we cooperate with the Spirit. But the key is... We have to keep walking with the Spirit in order to celebrate this victory over the flesh. So what does this look like? A little boy was memorizing the fruit of the Spirit, and he quoted them to his mother. As he quoted them to his mother, he came to the very last one and said, remote control. If only self-control was as easy as a remote control in our hand. We just pressed the button, and all of a sudden... Bam! Self-control. If only it was that easy, right? Paul illustrates the struggle of this for us. He illustrates for us from the world of sports in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 27. If you have your Bibles, turn to it. Or you can look at your notes in your the verses in your notes there, but look how Paul illustrates this war within, this struggle, this fight, if you will, and he does it from the world of sports, of the idea that we have to keep walking with the Spirit in order to celebrate this victory over the flesh. Notice what he says in verse 24 of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. 
Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now let me just draw out two observations from what Paul says here. We don't have time to go into these verses in detail, but let me highlight two things I think he's emphasizing here when it comes to living a self-controlled life. Number one is to keep running the race in the Spirit's power. Is to keep running in the Spirit's power. And you say, well, how does the runner run? Well, Paul tells us. He or she runs hard. He or she gives the race everything they have. He or she runs in a way that they may obtain or win the prize. And for us as Christ followers, that prize, Paul says, is not temporal. Rather, it is eternal. And that means we run then with self-control in the Spirit's power. Why? Because there are fleshly desires and passions that we have to control if we're going to run like a winner and run in a way to receive the prize. So Paul now comes to us and he says, listen, with this spirit fruit of self-control, you've got to keep running the race. Don't quit. Don't give up. Give it everything you have. In other words, there's a part that we do play in this. Remember, I go back, I did say self-control. We focus too much on the word self, and we need to focus a whole lot more on the word spirit and the power of spirit on us. Listen, God will do his part, but there's also a part for us to do, and we have to keep running the race, but notice in whose power do we run it in. We run it in the Spirit's power, not in our power. Number two is to keep fighting the fight in the Spirit's power. Keep fighting in the Spirit's power. Did you notice how Paul communicates the severity of his self-control? Now, I'll just be honest with you, as if I'm now telling the truth for the first time. (laughs) Not really. Paul could hardly be more out of sync here in these verses with our American culture. He says, notice this, in verses 26 and 27, I do not box as beating as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control. Now please understand, the body, our flesh here, that is the skin and bones, is not evil in and of itself. You say, wow, how do you know that, Bruce? Well, because God created our bodies, amen? And praise God, one day God will raise our bodies from the dead to exist forever but they will be in a glorified state. But the body, as we know it now, does exist as kind of a base of operations for sin in our lives. And sin uses our bodies to give rise to many of the desires, many of these passions and cravings that are destructive to our spiritual lives. Therefore, Paul 
in his own testimony here in 9, tells us that when we exercise self-control, it's like a boxing match. And the enemy to be punched is what? It's the body. And Paul says when he swings, listen, he doesn't miss and hit the air. Paul says, listen, I connect, and I beat my body, and I make it my slave. Why? So he will not be mastered by the appetites and cravings, desires and passions of the body. Paul reminds us, even in 1 Corinthians 6.13, that the body, this flesh and life that we have, God has given it to us not for our own self-gratification, but rather our body is for the glory of the Lord. It's to be used for His kingdom and to serve Him. So Paul means to make his body do that, to serve the glory of the Lord and not to serve the sinful desires of his flesh. This is exactly, basically the same thing that Jesus said back in the Gospel of Matthew 5, 29 and 30. When, listen to it. He says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. And now Paul basically says, it's better to beat my body into submission than to be disqualified from the race. Now, let me also say, so we don't have any misunderstanding here, that what Jesus said in Matthew 5 and what Paul is saying here is that gouging out the eye does not necessarily overcome lust in the heart. All right? Cutting off one's hand does not necessarily conquer the desire to steal. The point that Jesus is making, and it's the same point Paul is making, is to fight these fleshly impulses with that kind of seriousness, though. Both Jesus and Paul mean there are impulses, there are cravings of the flesh that must be put to death. And the fight to put them to death, Paul says, is like a boxing match with direct blows to the face and to the body. That's how serious we are to take this. And so Paul comes to us and he basically says, living a self-controlled life means we must keep running the race. We must keep fighting the fight, but we do it in the Spirit's power and not in our own power. Through the Spirit's power, God can give you control over your fleshly desires and passions. The Bible teaches that we are more than conquerors. In the Lord. And the Lord wants us to be conquerors and not conquered. Frederick the Great of Prussia was walking one afternoon around the outskirts of Berlin when he met an old man walking toward him. Old man, who are you? asked Frederick. And the old man replied, Why, I am a king. Frederick laughed a little. I mean, who wouldn't, right? Old man tells you he's a king. And Frederick asked him, a king? 
Over what kingdom do you reign? And the old man proudly replied, Over myself. Over myself. Friends, that's a man who has learned the secret and value of self-control. I go back to what Paul says in Galatians 5, 24 and 25. He says, listen, those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the sinful nature with his passions and desires. Since we now live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Earlier in Galatians 2, chapter 20, or chapter 2, verse 20, Paul puts it this way, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So self-control, the spirit fruit of self-control, really comes down to this question. A question that only you can answer. And that is, who has control of your life? Who has control of your life this morning? You, which is a false sense of control, or does God have control? Let me encourage you to surrender your life to God. Because self-control, when it's all said and done, is not something that you can do on your own. We need God's help. And God has done His part. He has given us the Spirit within us to help us to live out and to practice the Spirit fruit of self-control. So let me encourage you this morning as we come to our response time to ask God to take control of your life. And when He does, you will begin acting like Christ as His fruit is supernaturally produced in you by His Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we come to You this morning. And we thank You for Your graciousness by the Spirit that You have planted within our hearts when we put our faith and trust in Your Son, Jesus Christ. For God, without that Spirit, we would be lacking in a power that's sufficient enough to help us to live like your Son, Jesus Christ, day by day. Lord, I pray that each of us will do an evaluation during this time of our lives when it comes to self-control. Lord, do what only you can do by your Spirit and help us as individuals and as a corporate church to surrender our lives to your control and to your spirit. And Lord, that is a day-by-day process, a day-by-day decision. So Lord, help us even now to commit ourselves to you. And may we exemplify and live out the spirit fruit of self-control. As we come to this response time, as Zach sings, I, I pray and ask that you will Do business with God. If you need to, confess sin and receive the forgiveness of sin through God's Son, Jesus Christ. To surrender your life to the Spirit's control. Maybe there's an area of your life that's spinning out of control. Man, bring that before the throne of God. Ask Him to help you.
Ask him to deal with you as Zach sings. Thank you.